Hey, it's Bill Simmons. Wanted to tell you about House of Carbs, hosted by one of my best friends, Joe House. I've known him since 1988, and the entire time I've known him, he's been very, very hungry. And now he has a chance to host a podcast about being hungry, all the things that make him hungry, the food that he loves. It is a podcast by the hungry, for the hungry. And it's not your typical foofy food podcast where they're talking about foie gras and all that stuff. No, no. We're talking about diners. We're talking about fried chicken sandwiches, pizza slices, best Chinese food. Everything you, everything you talk about with food is on this podcast and with great guests like David Chang, uh, Chris Bianco, Jimmy Kimmel, a bunch of people coming up. All of them love food. Nobody loves food quite as much as Joe House. But listen, check this out. Subscribe right now to House of Carbs wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Ringer MLB Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am Ben Lindbergh. I'm a staff writer for TheRinger.com, and I'm joined by my colleague and co-host, Michael Bauman. We are extending our streak of making podcasts. I don't know if we're on a winning streak or a losing streak, no, but we're I definitely think, streaking. Yeah, we've had a couple. I, are we professionally <laughs> obligated to make a we're going streaking joke? <laughs> I think we are, yeah. Okay. All right. Consider this did. that, yeah. All right. It is both the best of times and the worst of times on the podcast today. So later in this episode, we are going to talk about two teams that are streaking in opposite directions. I guess we're going to start with the bad news and then we'll end on a, a positive note. So we'll end with Jordan Bastian, who covers the Cleveland Indians for MLB.com. And we'll talk about how the Indians have won 18 games in a row. Before that, we will bring on our friend Annie McCullough, who covers the Los Angeles Dodgers for the LA Times. Things not going quite as well with the Dodgers. They've lost 10 in a row and 15 of 16. So everyone is scared and in panic mode. We'll ask him about whether that's justified and how it's happening. You have a quick bit of banter before we get to Andy? Yeah, there's. I, I don't think there's any significant... Uh, um meaning to this, but during tonight's game, Buster Olney of ESPN tweeted out that Giovanni Urshela is the only player to appear in each one of Cleveland's 18 consecutive victories, which I find hmm. hilarious. Yeah. Um, I wonder how many different positions he has played in those 18 games. Yeah, but I wonder. Yeah, he's just the, the good luck charm, I guess. I guess. All right. Well, we will talk quite a bit more about Urshela's team later in this episode. But before we do, let's bring on Andy. So we are joined now by the beat writer for the Los Angeles Times, who is covering the current worst team in baseball, according to the worst team in baseball's third baseman, Justin Turner. It is Andy McCullough. Hello, Andy. Hey, guys. How's it going? (laughs) It's going okay for us. It's not going so well (laughs) for the team that you're covering, although your Twitter feed has become even more entertaining than usual over the last week or so as the Dodgers have just descended into the depths of darkness. It's rough, man. It's dark out there. It's like Kierkegaard tweets now that you're just pasting into your Twitter window, basically, at this point. I've been been tweeting lines from No Country for Old Men pretty (laughs) much like on a nightly basis, just like one or two a night. And like only a couple people have picked up on it. Um, 
Cause like most of the people are like, you know, like what, you know, what are you talking? Like, what does that mean? Like if the, you know, if the rule you followed was what got you to here, what good was the rule? And I'm like, it's a metaphor. Get it? Lineup yeah. changes. <laughs> so for a while there, as this losing streak started, you were as ever the voice of reason, the <laughs> level-headed, Correct. rational journalist and you were talking Dodgers fans down off the ledge or possibly making fun of them in some cases. But at a certain point, you have switched over because you (laughs) tweeted after the most recent loss, you said that you think this is a sign of grave distress. So what was the moment, I guess, when you started to think that this was more than just a blip along the way to the best team in baseball, having the best record in baseball? Oh, I mean, it, it has to be when Clayton Kershaw, you know, got beat up the other night on that on Friday. I think that was um, that for me was the, you know, the sign that this is not, you know, an ordinary losing streak. Um, you know, because like, look, like, I mean, we've, you know, we've seen a ton of baseball. And the thing about like covering baseball is just like on a daily basis, like none of it matters. You know, it's like, yeah, ah, they'll play tomorrow. You know, like, we'll see what happens tomorrow. Like you just avoid basically making uh, like overarching comments about anything you just avoid like having like strong opinions about things because usually Mm -hmm. it'll be proven wrong unless it's like you know like the opinion like Clayton Kershaw is a good pitcher like that's an easy opinion to have but like you know people are like who's the playoff rotation going to be I'm like well I think it'll be these guys but who knows they still have three months to get there you know let's see like how all these guys so anyway you just avoid making grand pronouncements as much as you can so when they'd lost like three or four games you know there was a there was a significant amount of panic i think among a certain subset of of dodger fans i think most fan bases this is the fourth different team i've covered and i would say most fan bases have a 15 to 25 percent of just super irrational passionate people (laughs) on social media Uh who um you know, just like reach out to whine about stuff basically when things go awry. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so I don't think the Dodgers are any different than, you know, the Royals or, you know, the Yankees and the Mets in that regard. But, you know, when you're hearing from these people and they're like, you know, like, this is like, what is going wrong after you've lost like five in a row? It's like, well, they played bad against the D-backs who were a good mm-hmm. team. Yeah. So, you know, you go through that. And then there was a weekend where they went to San Diego and were really bad. You know, they were just like not good across the board and they lost three of four. They had, you know, and so you're like, all right, they played a bad series and then they came home and they got beat up by the D-backs and they had Kershaw going on Thursday night. And then when he got, you know, beat up, it's like, all right, yeah, it's time to, you know, sort of uh, put this in perspective. Like they have Mm -hmm. played consistently terrible baseball pretty much in all phases of the game now for two weeks. It doesn't mean that they can't win the World Series, obviously, but uh, it's a real change from what I, you know, I think this is a team that like really uh, was incredibly confident for the first five months of the year for obvious reasons. And that confidence is just not there. And I'm not totally sure if you can get that back. I know that, you know, there's obviously debates about whether clutchness exists and all that sort of stuff. And, um, but uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I just think something's been damaged with the mojo that uh, that needs to be fixed in the next few weeks, or it's going to be a real problem in October. So as as bad as this is now, they're on a ten game losing streak now, and the last game before that was a Kershaw start that they won, and they had a five game losing streak before that. So as bad as this is now, how much worse would it be if they were on a sixteen game losing streak instead of <laughs> one in fifteen uh, in um, their past sixteen games? I don't know. It's it's horrible either way. Like there's no like there's no putting lipstick on this. You know, like this is just a total 
abject mess. Um, and uh, it's crazy. They still have the best record in baseball by like four games uh, or five games or whatever. So that's hilarious. Um, but it's just, yeah, I don't know. I don't think even if they had like won today, I, I don't think it, I just think something has been really damaged that, uh, that they need to repair for sure. So just judging by your Twitter mentions, what are Dodgers fans blaming this on most of all? And, oh, man. and if you could rank the, the the reasons that they are supplying for why the Dodgers are losing so much and I guess how much you buy into each of those explanations. Okay. So would you want to go from like least relevant to most relevant? <laughs> sure. That sounds okay. good. Okay. The least relevant reason is a lack of small ball. They are not uh, bunting yes. enough. Uh, this is a, a common complaint uh, among fans when, um, you know, players are struggling and they're like, why didn't he bunt there? And I'm like, why would Corey Seager bunt? <laughs> right. um, but, you know, like I get a lot of emails um, from readers and I love and I want to say like, because I think people are going to think like I'm like, I don't like the readers. I don't like interacting with them. I love hearing from, you know, fans and stuff like it's why we do this is so we can tell people what's going on. But I, I do get like a lot of emails from readers that are things like um, I have been a fan of baseball since 1967. And here are the things I don't like about the Dodgers. <laughs> and it's just like a list of like modern baseball. Right. Things that <laughs> yeah. you could tell that the person's been a fan since 1967 just by the content of the email. Yeah. Well, but also I want to say like if you have been watching baseball since 1967, perhaps you have noticed that over the intervening 50 years, the game has changed in certain <laughs> areas and it's no longer the sport it was in 1967. You know, it's like it's like writing to Rolling Stone magazine being like, I've been a fan of rock music since the Beatles and how come no one's made a record as good as Abbey Road? <laughs> that email like, may well, have been from Michael. Did it mention shifts and high strikeout rates? Well, it's like it's like pitchers don't go deep into games anymore. The lineup changes too often. It's just all just like modern mm -hmm. baseball, you know? It's like they use the DL too much. It's like no one cared about this stuff when they were 92 and 35 or whatever yeah. it was. So, so small ball is the least relevant uh, explanation for what's going on. A lack of small ball. Mm -hmm. um, the next one I would say is the chemistry was destroyed when they traded for Curtis Granderson and demoted Jock Peterson. Mm. Um, that was a move that they did in uh, the middle of August. They kind of pretty much came out of nowhere. Um, it wasn't something that I think anyone was really expecting, but they were able to get Curtis Granderson for uh, almost nothing. And, uh, you know, because of that, they demoted um, Peterson. Uh, now, understand, Jock Peterson was playing really poorly. He was hitting 154 in the second half. I think he only had two homers. His defense has regressed. Uh, he's been hurt a few times. He is not, he was not a good player. The reason they traded for Curtis Cranerson is because he was not a good player. Uh, Peterson was not a good player. Mm -hmm. Uh, Subsequently, of course, Granderson's batted 100 as a Dodger, right. and so that's been a bit of a problem. We'll get to that in a minute. Because of this, anyway, um, you know, lovable, goofy Jock Peterson, who is a very nice young man and was trying hard, and so it's not he does not really to blame for this, but apparently his demotion destroyed the chemistry of the team. That is less relevant, I think, than um, small ball. Uh, the next less relevant is Dave Roberts took his foot off the gas. Uh, he was driving, <laughs> and then he was like, you know what? I'm going to go the speed limit. Uh, so here again is where I think the Dodgers made a lot of decisions 
in late August based on having a 20 game lead in the division, you know, and having a pretty comfortable lead for home field advantage throughout. So like Corey Seager has a relatively, I don't want to say not serious, but a, uh, he has kind of a, 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 my, a, a medium elbow issue. You know, he may need surgery in the off season. I think he's got some loose bodies floating around there. He doesn't seem to particularly care about it. Um, but because of that, they told him to take two weeks off essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so he wouldn't be throwing. So he would, he didn't play, he didn't start for like two weeks. Um, they made that decision when they were really playing well and there wasn't an issue, but it, you know, and they stuck with that plan while Seager was out. Um, so because of that, they didn't have their best player for two weeks. That's something that you probably wouldn't have done if you had a five-game lead in the division. Um, mm-hmm. There's other things. You know, they called up a ton of guys. Uh, I think they have 39 guys in the room right now. You know, pretty much everyone on the 40-man roster who's healthy is uh, on the team, um, which, you know, leads to congestion in the clubhouse. But, you know, there were some games where, you know, there was a game where, like, they started Brock Stewart. They used, like, Fabio Castillo and Wilmer Font in relief. The lineup had, like... A Koye Dixon and uh, Rob Segadin and all this sort of stuff. And so, like, they basically had, like, a doubleheader where they played a lot of rookies. They uh, lost that game. And, um, you know, well, I mean, we know that. They've lost every game. (laughs) But, um, But, you know, so it's like this idea that they took the foot off the gas. I don't, you know, I covered the Royals in 2015. There were a lot of similar complaints when they went through a really bad stretch in September. And it was a similar sort of thing. A lot of September call-ups played in, a, in like a series against the White Sox. They got swept. They went like five of 11 or something. And everyone was blaming Ned Yost for taking his foot off the gas. Um, mm-hmm. And it just, you know, I mean, which, it's reasonable to take your foot off the gas to a certain extent, right? Correct. I mean, they, they did yes. have an enormous lead. Like, yes. So. And, and, just as the and Royals, it's not though. like the the back of their 40 man roster is total crap either. They've exactly, got, you know, yeah, right. they bring it up font uh, was like the triple a pitcher of the year in the, the PCL or something like that. And Verdugo and Bueller are getting, you know, it, it seems like the, the people who are complaining about this are also the same people who are like, we can't trade Alex Verdugo for anybody under any circumstances. And now they're, they're pissed off that he's getting a couple dozen at bats in September. I, Michael, I don't know if you've dealt with people online much, but um, <laughs> logical through lines uh, are difficult. Like I would love to see, I've mentioned this on Twitter, I would love to see a Venn diagram of people who tweeted at me complaining about Jock Peterson before he got demoted to people complaining that the demotion of Jock Peterson ruined the chemistry. I, it's probably just a circle. Yeah. Um, well, but this- okay. This is this is why I'm kind of surprised that you at least don't say that you hold your readers in the same disdain I hold mine in. <laughs> no, I love all my readers. They're great people. Me too. Please get a subscription to latimes.com, hashtag press on. <laughs> so Robert's taking his foot off the gas. I guess uh, that is, I would say that's maybe slightly more relevant than the idea of Robert's changes the lineup too much. That's preposterous. They've done different forms of lineups all the time. Uh, they've done that all year. So that's not relevant either. Okay, now we're getting into the slightly more relevant mm-hmm. Um Curtis Granderson and Logan Forsythe uh, mm. are being cited as the gruesome twosome, I guess, who are killing the team. This is one of those things where it's like it's not really a red herring because they are both playing really poorly. Like Granderson is hitting uh, 114. Mm-hmm. You know, Logan Forsythe in the second half has a 649 OPS, um, which is you know bad, but not 
horrific. Uh, most of that is he's got a 347 OBP, which is actually, you know, not bad. Um, but he's hitting 206. So, you know, the sort of people who complain online about Logan Forsyth are not the sort of people who look at OBP and go like, well, you know, okay. <laughs> uh-huh. um, so there's this idea that these two guys are killing them. And the fact that they're in the lineup is like a disgrace. Uh, I think it's relevant to why they're playing poorly, that these two guys are playing poorly. Um, but I don't think it's the actual problem. Now we're we're past the point of things that people complain about. Um, there's also like people complain that Dave Roberts criticized the fans for um, telling them not to boo Pedro Baez. Uh, that's neither here nor there, I guess. So the things that are actually going wrong is the starting pitching has been terrible and the lineup's been terrible, which I know, like, great analysis. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> that's what it is. The lineup has gone completely cold. They scored 13 runs during this seven-game homestand. They gave up 47 runs. They didn't have a pitcher go into the sixth inning i don't think um it's really simple they're just not pitching well and they're not hitting well so uh yeah we ran through all the red headerings but the actual Mm -hmm. explanation is super boring (laughs) right yeah and so i mean as far as lasting concerns i mean during this stretch i think they've had five one run losses which is not to say that they have not played poorly because they have but if a few of those games had gone the other way maybe the Dodgers DEFCON level would be a bit higher than it is now but among the concerns that could actually carry over into the playoffs assuming as the research that's been done has shown that there's no momentum carry over or anything if you don't believe in that what is there there's Seeger's injury issue which maybe is not so serious yeah there was, he's fine yeah bellinger missed a little time but he's okay right he's and okay yeah he's i guess fine. adrian gonzalez is a concern but he might not even be on the roster right yeah, or, I, mean, I don't know i don't know how relevant he's gonna be right um, i mean he's a concern and that he's not performing well but i'm not sure yeah. he's gonna be a member of the roster and yeah, I, I doubt he's gonna be starting in the playoffs mm-hmm. so then if they you, make the playoffs <laughs> yes of course so then there's what Chris Taylor, I guess, has cooled off considerably. And mm-hmm. maybe because of how out of nowhere his story was, maybe that's a little more concerning than it would mm-hmm. be with some guys. And and then, you know, maybe you can be concerned about Alex Wood or you Darvish, right? I mean, Darvish. Yeah, had, those are the two issues. guys who yeah. I would be worried about. Darvish is a bit of a wreck right now. Um, mm-hmm. Darvish has like a 5-3 ERA as a Dodger. He seems to tinker with his mechanics on a daily basis. He throws like six bullpens a week. Um, you know, he's, his arm angle shifting. And uh, I think they, I think that, and this is one of the things too, where it's like when you're up 20 games, you can have Darvish like experimenting with, or not even experimenting, but just like doing sort of, you know, mechanical things from start to start where like his, you know, his, his shoulders really high and then it's really low. And, you know, he's focusing more on, you know, elevated fastball velocity. Okay. Now he's focusing more on, you know, really getting his slider, you know, to spin. And, and it's just like from start to start, he's just getting his head kicked in. And, um, you know, that's, that's a big concern. I think, you know, this is a guy who they acquired with the idea that he would start game two in the playoffs. He'd be the right-handed compliment to Kershaw. And not only that, but he would allow them not to kill Kershaw in the playoffs you know allow Kershaw to not have to pitch on three days rest in the DS and come back again on three days rest in the CS the way he has all these years where you know eventually that seems to have caught up with him you know most you know in several of these seasons where he's had great starts and then three days later he's had a good start and then three days after that you know is when he's giving up the five runs and five innings or whatever 
Um, you know, so the hope would be that they could avoid that. But right now, I mean, I, I don't know if they're in that situation. And Alex Wood, you know, is definitely starting to fade. Um, the ground ball rate is not what it was, you know, in the first half. He was tremendous. He was an all-star, you know, and and well-deserved. But, um, you know, has had a lot of – has had a few rough outings, you know, here in the second half. He's coming off sort of – he's got a weird, like, sort of sternum inflammation thing that may be affecting him. So, you know, there's a chance that he could move into the bullpen and Hunjin Ryu could be the fourth starter. And so, you know, that's not the worst thing in the world. Um, but the downside risk with Hunjin Ryu, especially if he's pitching, like, game four at Chase Field against the D-backs, uh, that is fairly significant. So, yeah, the, the, those are the two things – the two guys – guys who maybe I might be most concerned about of the sort of elite level talent on the team. Mm -hmm. If you had to bet on Chris Taylor or Alex Wood sort of coming back to earth a little bit, then that, you know, that would have been a reasonable prediction to make, but I don't know. Usually I write down questions before we do a podcast interview. And the only one I had was able to write down was like, how, like, I mean, some of the, like some of these guys are, were playing over their heads a little bit, even, you know, I think guys like Bellinger a little bit were, yes. You know they weren't going to win 115 games, and and even teams that are on 110 win uh, paces. And we talked about this last week. Like they all do this at some point, but this yeah. is just so far beyond like my ability to comprehend. Even as someone with absolutely no skin in the game with the Dodgers whatsoever, like it's it's shaking me a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be that worried about it. Um, you know, just in general, there's other stuff going on. I saw Brandon oh, yeah, the other sure. night; they were awesome. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I, I guess, like, if you look at it, like, you go through the lineup, right? It's like, who are the, like, elite, elite players on this team? And, the like, offensively, at least, it was Turner, Seager, Taylor, and Bellinger, right? And I think, you know, you can argue, I guess, Austin Barnes and Yasmani Grandal put together are an elite catcher. But, you know, um, you know Barnes hasn't played a ton, hasn't played enough to see him as, like, an all-star type catcher. And Grandal is having a tough year. So, okay. So, Taylor's playing over his head for five months. He, him regressing is not surprising. Bellinger's in his first big league season. Him regressing in September is not surprising. Seager did the same sort of thing last year. Seager had a rough uh, September. Turner has proven himself to be a very, very good player over the last four years, but he's not a 350 hitter. And I think the Babbitt regression got to him a little bit uh, in the past few weeks. You know, he's not hitting the ball in the air as much. He's on the ground a little bit more. Um, he's probably a little worn out. You know, both his knees are uh, and his legs have been beat up over the years. So you can see physically he's maybe a little diminished. He's still obviously producing, but not at the level he was in the first half. And then they didn't have Seager for two weeks. And it's like, okay, if you think about it, I'll put all those things together. Where's the offense coming from? You know, Peterson, you know, when he was up, was an out. Uh, Grandal, uh, you know, hits home runs, but he's got like, you know, he doesn't do much else offensively besides the occasional walk. Um, Barnes has been a really, has had a really good year for him, but, but you know, he was the backup. He may start to become more of the, the, the starting catcher as you go forward, but um, maybe not. You know, Forsyth's an out. Utley, you know, God bless him, is, has been basically an out without a ton of power. Uh, who else are we talking about? Granderson, you know, is batting a hundred, um, you know, so it's like they were propped up by these four guys and um, you're seeing, you know, when you don't have the best of the lot for two weeks and when the other three guys start to slow and they didn't have Bellinger for all of it, but when, you know, when the other three guys are kind of slumped, it's, you know, it's tough to score runs. Yeah. And we also left out among the Twitter explanations, the 
guy who was tweeting at you to blame Justin Turner for posing for the Sports <laughs> Illustrated cover about the Dodgers being the best team of all time. So that's I've up had there. some uh, I've had some conversations with the people at Sports Illustrated, and they tell me that he did not pose for that picture. <laughs> that it was a candid. It's what's known in the business as a candid. Uh huh. Okay, and he didn't pitch the article or write the headline or any of no, that. No, huh? he he did not do that. He did not pitch. He did not pitch that. Um, <laughs> So assuming that the Dodgers are able to hold on to what is still a nine game lead, which a lot of teams would be thrilled to have at this point in the (laughs) season. I mean, if they somehow lose out for the rest of the season and blow this, it will be the greatest collapse and craziest season of all time. So uh, just as we were betting against the Dodgers setting a record for winning the most games, I'm betting against that happening too. So do you think that there is any kind of lasting effect of this. I guess, I mean, we've seen that there have been teams that were terrible coming into the playoffs and then just seemed to be totally fine once the playoffs started. So do you really think that there's enough here to be concerned about? And you mentioned that there is actually a difference in how the clubhouse seems to be and just the attitude of the team. So I guess... That could potentially be a lasting thing if you believe in the impact of the the soft factor stuff. Are you gentlemen familiar with the story of Icarus? <laughs> yes. Hmm. <laughs> uh, I don't. You know, I don't know. Um, I like lasting impact. It's like, I mean, let's like let's think about this out loud. Like, what could they have done differently? Do you think? Yeah, I mean. Not a whole lot. It's just, I guess, a question of whether how you sequence your wins matters at all to anything. I, I mean, think, oh, I think it does. I think I, I do think. I yeah, think I think this this is beyond sequencing. Correct. At this point. Yeah, like I looked it up last week, and I think it was like five teams in the last twenty years have had losing records in September, um, and and won the World Series. And uh, so it's like it's not. It's obviously well within the realm of statistical uh, possibility, but. You know, it's you've never seen a team, uh, you know, go one and fifteen and win the World Series, mostly because it's hard to go one and fifteen. <laughs> um, you know, like you win a game by accident some days. So <laughs> I don't know. Like I, I don't know. I guess I think this is the problem the Dodgers are having is like, what are they doing wrong besides playing bad baseball? You know, mm-hmm. I don't exactly know what the obvious thing that they should have done differently because if I knew that I would have written it a week ago, you know what I mean? Yeah. And they would have done it, you know, the day before I wrote it. (laughs) Right. And what's gotta be disconcerting is they bordered on abuse, the 10 day DL to make sure that their starting rotation doesn't get worn out. And if, you know, if you buy the, the fatigue theory, and I think that's certainly plausible for a guy like Wood. And this is happening after they've taken all those steps. That's, you know, I just, I'm out of ideas at that point. Well, I think it's just, you know, you you maybe have to, um, I think Alex Wood pitched so well in the first half that it caused some people to forget Alex Wood's career path. Alex Wood's a very, very talented pitcher. You know, like when he is right, he is very, very good. Um, But, you know, him throwing you know, being on pace for like 180 innings or whatever it would have been might be, you know, outside of what, you know, is the best way to use him, you know, just based on, you know, his, his delivery, you know, he's had some injuries in the past. Um, he's a slender sort of guy, you know, like it's not to knock him. He's had a great season and, you know, he's, he's 
you know, he's pitched really, really well for them. But it's like, you know, when he when he's like eleven and zero, maybe you forget that. Hey, when this guy came into the year, they saw him as kind of a swingman, uh, you know, potential high leverage reliever. You know, he'll he'll go into the bowl, he'll go into the rotation if you know they need him. So uh, I think he performed his way out of the role where, that might have made a little more sense. Just thinking about what his career was before this season, you know. So um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm I. I, I don't know if I see a ton of fatigue with anyone pitching wise except for Wood, uh, because Rich Hill looks fine. You know, he hasn't been great, but he's been fine. Uh, Darvish is not a fatigue thing. That's just a you know, just kind of a mess. And then Kershaw, you know, was was nails in his first start back from the DL, and then stunk against the Rockies, who are a bad team to stink against. Mm-hmm. And have you just? I mean, what is the mood? Like, are people moping around? Are they hanging their heads? Is there no music in the clubhouse? Like, at this point, if Joe Madden were managing this team, he'd have, like, zoo animals in there every day or something. Just You'd to- have to pull <laughs> Joe Madden off the ceiling if, if this happened <laughs> yeah. to the Cubs. So, I, like, I don't think he's capable of, of comprehending something like this happening in his, in his clubhouse. So would you yeah. know if you walked into the Dodgers clubhouse today and compared it to two weeks ago, would it be dramatically different? You know, that's one of the funny things is it like it's it's been definitely I mean, post game, it's like a morgue, mm-hmm. but uh, pregame, it's actually been not that different. I mean, guys are, you know, it's not like they come in every day being like, man, we are going to lose tonight. Like we are facing Tyler Chatwood. You know, <laughs> it's like it, they have they still have that competence. It's just they go out on the field and just play like crap. Um, so, you know, I don't notice that so much. Uh, I don't notice that, you know, as like the, the mood has, has definitely turned. I mean, I will say this, uh, I, you know, I wrote about this the other day, uh, a couple days ago, they were playing the fray in the clubhouse, <laughs> uh, which like that plus the Kershaw start was what made me turn yeah, against it's it. It's like the end of a Scrubs episode or something. Which song? Uh, yeah. How to Save a Life. Oh, yeah. God. No. <laughs> yeah. They, play, they played The Fray, uh, Michael Buble, uh, Ed Sheeran, no. uh, Dreaming with a Broken Heart by John Mayer. And wow. uh, there was one other one that was like egregious. Um I don't know. I well, I forget what the guy's name is. I can look it's it like up. But it was just like the or something. softest of soft rock. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, it's just it, the, so, how to save a life puts me in the mind of the musical episode of Grey's Anatomy, which is mm, the mm-hmm. only thing I've seen recently that's been a bigger disaster than the last couple weeks of the Dodgers. So, <laughs> somebody out there will like that joke, even if you guys didn't get it. And all I know is if they had started playing Snow Patrol, I would have asked to have been put on the Angels beat because it was a lost cause. <laughs> So one thing that I'm sort of curious about is they've got a lot of really leadershipy guys. And like part of the irony of blaming Curtis Granderson for the deteriorating clubhouse chemistry is he's got a reputation as just a guy that everybody likes. And you know, between him and Utley and Adrian Gonzalez, they've like these guys have seen everything. And Gonzalez was on the beer and chicken Red Sox, and Utley was on that 2011 Phillies team that won 100, uh, 102 games, but just got nuked in September and then uh, lost in the first round. So how are, are are those guys sort of? trying to to put out the fire as far as you know how you know you you think that one of the things that the guys with that kind of experience is that they're able to lend some you know some sort of intangible benefit in times like this so i'm curious Correct. to see how they've reacted 
So, I mean, there's like four, I would say the four biggest leaders on the team are, are Kershaw, Utley, Turner, and Kenley Jansen. Um, Kershaw is a starting pitcher, so it's kind of hard for him sometimes to take that role, uh, you know, because he only plays once every fifth days. Even though he's Clayton Kershaw and he can do whatever he wants, I think, you know, it's not the easiest for him to, you know, call out the offense or, or whatever. Also, you know, he was coming off the DL for a while, so there's a little bit of awkwardness there where he doesn't want to, I don't think, necessarily, you know, be the guy telling everyone what to do when he's been back for a few days and he pitched poorly the other night. So he's not really in a position to do that sort of thing. Um, Jansen hasn't pitched like in two weeks. So (laughs) he's he's a little out of the mix. Uh, Utley is more of the strong silent type. Uh, I would say, you know, he's, uh, he's not the sort, he's not a very rah, rah guy. He's not a very, you know, call a team meeting guy, you know, but he's obviously been a, a guy trying to get things going in the right direction. And, you know, Turner is, you know, basically laid it out for me, you know, post game. It was like, look, everyone has to look in the mirror and, you know, figure out what they can do better on an individual basis. You know, we're not going to get where we want to go unless everyone plays better. You know, it's been a team wide thing. And, you know, we need to all sort of look in the mirror and figure out, you know, how we can, you know, get out of this individually, each every, you know, each guy doing his part. And like that is, you know, it's not like the the most complicated thing in the world. Like, hey, play better, you dummies. Um, but, you know, it's it, that's all you can say. I mean, I don't know, like, you know, like the, the beer and chicken Red Sox, like that is sort of the example. Like, I don't know what Adrian Gonzalez learned from that experience, except for like guys like don't order fast food. <laughs> right. Um, At least not where the media can see you. Right. And like, don't play, I actually reread that story today, uh, during the game, <laughs> which should let, let you know, uh, my, my favorite part of the story is, uh, Jason Veritek, when reached for comment, asked how the reporter had gotten his number and hung up. <laughs> <laughs> pretty great. Pretty, pretty great. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I like, I don't see anything of that nature going on. Like guys like openly sort of abdicating responsibility i just think like everyone's playing bad it's super weird i don't know maybe stuff will come out in a few weeks that you know that that makes more sense but it's just like kind of like a team-wide slump which i've i've never seen to this extent even on bad teams i mean i used to cover the mets and like i never saw anything like this so it's (laughs) yeah it's crazy yeah well you haven't covered the mets this year so maybe that makes that's sense. true. <laughs> but but, but yeah. I did. I covered the Mets under Jerry Manuel. I mean, that's this true. Is Jerry Manuel, who was <laughs> like, who literally was once asked how he would welcome Francisco Rodriguez back to the team after Francisco Rodriguez got arrested for beating up his common law wife's father. Yeah. At the at City Field, and he was asked, "How will you welcome him back to the team next year?" And Jerry said, "I'm here next year." <laughs> like <laughs> they don't make teams like the 2010 Mets, and I've never seen anything like this. <laughs> yeah, particularly for a team that was the best in baseball and one of the best yeah. of all time for the five months preceding that. So it's been crazy. If you want to tweet at Andy to tell him that the Dodgers should be bunting more, you can find him <laughs> at McCullough Times. You can read him in the LA Times on Tuesday, where he has been assigned to diagnose all of the Dodgers' ills and provide a complete prescription for fixing them. So I'm looking forward to that. Andy, thank you very much. It's, I'm just going to write a transcript of this conversation. <laughs> all right. Uh, this was fun. Thanks for having me, guys.
All right, so let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Jordan Bastian to talk about Cleveland. If you're like me and you're not so great at planning ahead when it comes to travel, I've got good news for you. There's this awesome app called Hotel Tonight that helps you find amazing hotel deals at the last minute. It sounds counterintuitive, but unlike flights, hotel rates usually get cheaper at the last minute. And Hotel Tonight helps hotels sell their unsold rooms, allowing them to pass those deals along to you. These aren't last resort places. They're actually cool top-rated hotels that you want to stay in. And with so many awesome partner hotels in a ton of different countries, Hotel Tonight can help you find a great hotel almost anywhere. It's perfect for a spontaneous getaway or for finally going on that trip you've been wanting to take for a while. I'm getting married next month. Not nervous at all. But I've got people coming to town. I've got a bachelor party to plan or have planned for me. People need places to stay. Some people are making game time decisions on whether they can come or not, so I'm going to be telling them to try Hotel Tonight, because even though the app's name is Hotel Tonight, you can book up to a week in advance. All it takes is 10 seconds, just three taps and a swipe. So get in on these killer last-minute deals and download the Hotel Tonight app now. Okay, so from the worst of times, we now transition to the best of times, and we bring in the beat writer for, I guess we can say, the current best team in baseball, Jordan Bastian, who covers the Indians for MLB.com. Hello, Jordan. Hey, how are you guys doing? We are doing well, although not as well as the Indians, which is the opposite (laughs) of what I said in the intro to our first segment. So you, as we speak, are still in the press box on Sunday night slash Monday morning after the Indians 18th consecutive victory. Is it fun to cover a team that is doing some something like this? I, I guess you can get different different stories out of a team that is totally in the tank for whatever reason and a team that is flying as high as Cleveland is right now. But I would imagine just the atmosphere around the team is kind of infectious after this many wins in a row, even if you're not you know actively rooting for the team. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Uh, a year ago, they had a 14-game winning streak. And I remember after the the 14th, which was 19 innings, um, and thankfully on Canada Day in Toronto, so it was a day game, so we weren't there all night. But I remember walking out and just being like, man, I may never see anything like this again. And now here we are <laughs> a year later, and they've won 18 in a row. So, I mean, this has been – it's been really incredible. I mean, I'm sure as you guys have followed this as well and followed this – what is turning into a, a wild finish to a baseball season – I mean, six weeks ago felt like foregone conclusion that the Astros had the American League wrapped up. You know, I was already looking at hotels in Boston for the, for the playoffs. Uh, you know, the Dodgers didn't even seem like it was, you should even look at that in the standings. And now, you know, as we speak tonight, I think the Indians are five back of the Dodgers for the best record in baseball. I mean, this has been, it's been absolutely insane. Um, you know, they made a movie about the last team that did something similar to this. Uh, I don't think Brad Pitt's going to be playing Chris Antonetti uh, in this one, uh, but it's it's been fun. You're right; it's infectious. It's fun to go around there and you know talk to the players and get kind of different stories. Um, tonight, Francisco Lindor hit uh, a critical home run using Abraham Abraham Almonte's bat, which was heavier than the bat that Lindor normally uses. Lindor broke his bat during the at bat went to the dugout, said, hey, Abe, can I borrow one of yours? And he tossed him one that was heavier than Lindor was expecting. And he hit a critical home run anyway, um, because that's just how things are going for the Indians these days. So it's been fun to get kind of these little nuggets and, you know, and obviously sort of 
like you said, be in that clubhouse and, and see the atmosphere uh, that's around this team right now. So you invoked Moneyball, which includes the the Oakland A's 2002 20-game winning streak. And you don't have to answer this question if you're like shopping around a book about this winning streak So yeah, and you want to keep it under wraps. But what's the you know, the through line, if you make a movie about this team, how is this possible? How has this happened? Yeah, I think it was interesting talking to Trevor Bauer after tonight's game, because kind of, as I mentioned, they had, we have the backdrop of them having done this last year. And last year, there was this real heavy sense of them sort of proving to the baseball world, what everyone in that clubhouse felt they were as a team. And I know that's kind of cliche, but that's how that team felt last year. They felt like no matter how well they played, No one believed in them all the way up to the world series when the Cubs were, you know, the, the heavy favorite and the Indians were working with two and a half men in their starting rotation and somehow, you know, pushed that team to the brink. Um, You know, so there was a lot of feeling like they had to prove something last year. The, The difference this year has been, you know, they know they're good. And this is kind of what Trevor said today is that, they felt the pressure of the winning streak last year when they got to 14, as it kept mounting, they kept feeling that intense uh, pressure to keep it going. And he said the difference this year is they don't care. Like they don't care if they have this winning streak, you know, they're coming in every day and they know they're a good team. And if they lose, so what? Because for them, they're focused on finishing what they didn't finish last year. They want to get back to the world series and they want to win it all. And this winning streak means nothing if they get swept in the first round of the playoffs. Um, so that's kind of that collective mentality in that room. And I really think if you're talking about uh, looking at this team in the scope of national spotlight or thinking about books or movies or whatever, they've got to finish it. You know, they've got to complete the job because if, like I said, if it's all for naught, you know, it's really not as interesting. It's just uh, a fun fact, you know, that they're alongside the 2002 A's and the 1935 Cubs and, and some of these other teams that have done this, um, and I don't think this team talk of those guys are are interested in fun facts as much as Ben is. <laughs> right. So they have now gone ahead of the Astros with the best record in the American League. And I don't think that would have been a shock if you had said that to me or anyone in the spring before the season started. Right. But it took them quite a while to get to this point. And, and they did it in an unusual way, obviously. But why did it? take until the second half for this team to really take off and separate itself from its competitors in the central and also from every other team in the league. I really think it goes down to the starting rotation. Um, you know, when you look at, I forget what the date is, but there was a date in May or June where they were last in the American league in ERA. And, you know, they had a lot of soul searching among the staff, you know, about their approach. You know, there was a stretch where, all of a sudden, you know, much like around baseball, they were just throwing a ton more breaking balls than we've ever seen, which was something that in a very small sample they did in the postseason last year. And so there was a stretch this season when they were trying to get back on track where there was a heavy emphasis on that um, for guys like Tomlin and Kluber and, and Trevor Bauer. And, you know, they lost Kluber for a month due to a back injury earlier in the year. So their starting rotation was working without him for a while. You know, Danny Salazar missed two months in the middle of the year with a shoulder issue and kind of had to work to get right down in the minor leagues for a while before he came back. And there's been other issues. Trevor Bauer um, had good peripheral stats in the first couple of months, but seemed like every ball that was put in the air was going over the fence and, you know, it was baffling him and he kept looking at it like, I 
don't really think I need to change anything. I think just it needs to take time for this stuff to even out. Um, and I think really the starting rotation, getting back on track, um, has kind of powered this whole thing. You know, obviously Kluber came back and has been a Cy Young candidate since he's returned. Trevor Bauer's been pitching at a much better level over the last six weeks. Um, Carlos Carrasco has been steady. Salazar hasn't been there, but you've seen uh, Mike Clevenger step up in his absence and Josh Tomlin, when he's been in there, um, you know, do kind of what he's done over the last couple of years, which is be a solid back end of the rotation type guy. So I really think there's a lot of little things that have added up with that rotation. Um, but once they sort of got clicking and got back to what, as you said, in the preseason, what we expected, um, you know, that's kind of powered this whole thing. And if you ask Trevor Bauer, um, who's I'm talking about him a lot because he pitched today, um, he'll just, he'll give you a one word answer on what helped with him. And it was just regression. And honestly, that kind of feels like it sums up the team as well, because as, as you well know, going into the year, you know, not, we didn't expect an 18 game winning streak, but the type of team we're seeing now is what we expected at the start of the year. So I want to ask about Kluber specifically, because you look at teams like this that, that were good and then they get better from one year to the next. And you look at, you know, maybe something like the Jose Ramirez breakout or Clevenger being so much better than expected or Carrasco staying healthy. And Kluber was he was a top five pitcher in baseball going back a couple years now. And I feel like he took a step forward in esteem just the way he pitched, uh, particularly on short rest in last year's playoffs. And he's been better than ever this year. Like, I I didn't really think that there was another level for him to go to. So what's been different with him? Is there a change in his approach? Is, you know, what, what, how has he been this good? Yeah, he's, you know, this year, what I have found most interesting with him, and I mean, you can kind of go to his, uh, game logs, but he's, he's been kind of a chameleon, you know, adapting to each team he's facing. Um, and now on the whole, he's throwing his curveball more, um, than he has in years past. Uh, you know, the sinker usage has dropped a little bit. There's that way more emphasis on, on the breaking pitches, which is one of the best pitches in baseball. Why wouldn't you throw it more? Um, but the other thing I feel like he's done is I feel like I've, I've written, Hey, he's throwing his curveball a lot more. And then the next outing he's, throws a ton of, ton of four seamers. And I'm like, Hey, look, he threw a bunch of four seamers in the next outing. Um, you know, it's a different pitch that he used. It's he's really been good this year at sort of adapting and doing in game adjustments, which it's hard to sort of quantify, but you know, from talking to Jan Gomes who catches him the most and talking to Kluber and pitching coach Mickey Calloway, one thing that Kluber is kind of exceptional at is, reading hitters approaches and reading their swings. And then after about the first time and a half through the order, sort of convening with Gomes on, okay, here's what we've seen, which, you know, how should we approach it the rest of the way? Um, and he does that, I think as well or better than, than anyone I've ever seen. So, you know, that's kind of been the story this year, because when you look, I mean, this, this is a guy whose velocity is down a little bit from when he won the Cy Young uh, and a guy who, you know, it's, it's not much different stuff. It's just the way he's been distributing the pitches has been a little bit different. Um, and I think kind of that's, you're seeing that, I guess, so to speak, intelligence of the pitcher um, coming to the forefront this season for a guy who broke out a couple of years ago. So what are the negatives, I guess, to the extent that there are any right now? I guess there's the Denny Salazar status and now there right. is the Bradley Zimmer injury. 
Yeah, I, there, yeah. Where, where, where are the chinks in the armor right now? It's hard to see because we're in the middle of this 18-game winning streak where the bullpen is crazy good, the rotation's crazy good, and over the 18 games, the run differential's plus 89, which is just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, but yeah, it's the the uncertainty over some of the depth. Like you hear managers talk about all the time, when you lose guys to injury, you know, you can get away with it for a couple weeks, you know, but over the long haul, you'll get exposed. You know, Andrew Miller is not in the bullpen right now. Obviously they have a very good bullpen even without him, but that's a weapon they've been lacking and they're trying to get him back. You know, they have Jason Kipnis coming back and they're going to have to try and figure out how to work him into the mix because they've had a good thing going with um, Jose Ramirez bouncing between second and third and mixing and matching with some of their other infield options. But again, in the short term, maybe you can get away with that in the long term, you know, it, maybe it's not as easy to do, you know, losing Zimmer now, you know, they've sort of had a revolving door um, in the outfield this year, just in terms of mixing and matching. And Francona is probably as good as any manager out there at maximizing platoons or figuring out which guys are better suited to face certain pitchers. Uh, but now with Zimmer out, the situation gets a little different. Does Tyler Naquin, who hasn't really played much at all this year in the big leagues, will he get more exposure out there again? Uh, will uh, a guy who just got called up from double A like Greg Allen, you know, who's fleet footed and a good defender, but you haven't seen a lot of him hitting in the big leagues. Will he get a chance to play center or will they lean more on a veteran like Austin Jackson or Lonnie Chisholm to play center? I think that's going to be interesting to see. And maybe we'll see some experimenting over the next couple of weeks. Um, especially after we learn more about, you know, how much time Zimmer's going to miss, but he did break a, the fourth metacarpal in his left hand on a head first dive attempt into first base. He got stepped on while he tried to dive. Um, so that doesn't sound good. He's meeting with Thomas Graham, the hand specialist here in Cleveland. Um, we'll know more info in the coming days, but I think that's sort of when you're looking at weaknesses for the team, it's going to be okay, cool, you've you've gotten away with some of these missing pieces, you know, but can is that sustainable as you start going forward and looking at the postseason? So in the in the vein of sort of looking how looking at how this doesn't end up in in a uh, at least a World Series appearance, which one of of Boston sort of with their their great bullpen and and uh, Chris Sale heading off the rotation or the Astros with their deep lineup, which one of those uh, do you think would present a bigger problem for for Cleveland the way the team's currently constituted? Well, they have a I think Chris Sale has a 14 plus ERA against the Indians this year. So I think, hey, bring them on, right? <laughs> no, the Indians have hit him well over the years, which is also baffling because when you ask any of the left-handed hitters, who do you hate facing? They all say Chris sale, but the Indians have for some reason hit him. Well, they've also hit Verlander well over the years. Um, but I think some of that's just maybe uh, akin to more exposure against them when, from when they were in the central as well, you know, from the games I've seen those teams match up this year. Uh, I think Houston uh, might present just with that, that lineup and you know the athleticism that they show, you know, I would think that would be uh, maybe a more problematic matchup. You know, they've played Boston well. Um, they played Houston well. Uh, so it's, I don't know, flip a coin, I guess. I don't really have a good answer. Uh, but I know that the fact that the Indians are now chasing home field, you know, they're much more comfortable taking on whoever they get, knowing that they could have more home games here in Cleveland. So the the rotation 
almost certainly shakes out. Kluber one, Carrasco two, Bauer three. What do you do with Mike Clevenger at this point? Like, are you convinced that he's the guy with maybe not the 140 ERA plus, but a guy that you trust in a, a playoff start? Or do you try to work, you know, would you try to work Danny Salazar back in? And what do you think Brancona and the Indians organization are, are going to go? Yeah, I really not sure on Salazar. His is a really interesting case talking to the pitching coach today. Uh, Mickey Calloway, you know, they offered Salazar a simulated game setting to try and help build his innings back up. And he kind of declined it because he didn't feel like he could amp up the way he likes to amp up and to use Calloway's phrasing. Um, so it's sort of put the Indians in a tough spot where they want to get him built up to where he's an option to start or be a multi-inning relief option. But it's in order to do it in a game setting, when they're still playing for something and, you know, and everything like that, you sort of have to wait for that ideal in-game scenario to present itself. Um, and if that doesn't come up, it's really hard to build them up in the way that he wants to be built up. So there's a lot of unknowns surrounding that. So I'm not really convinced that he is a starting option for the playoffs. Uh, I think maybe you have that in your back pocket in case of injuries, but I, I wouldn't really be looking at him right now. And, you know, you're right. I think those front three that you named are, are the main three for the postseason. If you need a fourth starter, uh, it maybe it comes down to a matchup when you look at who you're facing between Clevenger and, and Josh Tomlin. The guy Josh Tomlin doesn't throw hard, but they know he's going to consistently throw strikes, and that's something that the Indians love, especially with uh, the plus defense that they can run out there. Clevenger has been great lately, but the question with him is always going to be: Is he going to be prone to throwing uh, walks? And so that's something that they want to, you know, probably keep an eye on. And they've been really encouraged with this progress of late. So. I think you would look at maybe carrying both Clevenger and Tomlin, maybe put one of the bullpen, both in the bullpen, maybe have one guy available as that if you fourth starter, if you need one. Uh, but that's going to be an interesting debate when we get closer to October for sure. Yeah. And I wonder if Miller comes back at the kind, you know, if he is able to throw multiple innings the way he did last year. And then you talk about if Clevenger and Salves are both two or three inning guys out of the bullpen. You got Cody Allen, and I'm just sort of asking this partially to to just talk about how stupid Cody Allen made Adam Jones look in in uh, that ninth inning at bat tonight. Something I keep coming back to with the Indians, and there, were, there was a lot to like about them last year, and they're bringing everybody back, and then in a lot of areas, they're better, they're deeper, they're healthier than the team that took the Cubs to to 10 innings in game seven of the world series last year. So I guess there, there is a question of, of how do you fit together those pieces in the bullpen? If you've got multiple inning guys, maybe that makes Tomlin a better option. If he only has to get through the order, maybe even, you know, one and a half times. Right. And I think that's, you know, if you're looking at one of those guys starting and I think even in Tomlin's last outing, granted, he's only a couple starts removed from being activated from a DL stint, but you know, they had a lead and they pulled them at about 75 pitches and let the bullpen do the rest. And I think, you know, we saw it last year when they leaned on Ryan Merritt for a critical start in the playoffs. Ryan Merritt is a soft toss and lefty, but he was a good matchup pitcher against the Blue Jays because he was a lefty who threw strikes and had a good curveball. Um, and they got him into the fifth and then they went to the bullpen. And for in the playoffs, you can do that more. And I think when you're looking at, Clevenger, you know, if he is looking like he's not finding the zone, maybe you can have that quick hook and, and go to that pen. I do think what what's important is the depth of the bullpen this year because, you know, as much as Francona got praised for his bullpen use last year 
and rightfully so, it was really out of necessity. I mean, they had Kluber and they had Tomlin and they had Bauer with a shredded pinky finger. And then they had the rest of the rotation injured and Clevenger at the time wasn't stretched out as a starter. They had him in the bullpen for too long. So they really needed the bullpen to log as many innings as they did. And they needed to lean on Andrew Miller and Cody Allen as hard as they did. And I think with Miller currently coming back from a knee issue, I don't think you're going to see Francona lean on him as heavily as he did in the postseason last year. So I think the depth of arms in the bullpen will become more critical because, you know, you don't, you know, Miller already had one setback when he tried to come back from this thing and they want to make sure he's right and get him in some games before the end of the year. And, you know, then when you get to the playoffs, maybe not protect him a ton, but protect him a little more than last year when I think didn't he have the most relief innings in postseason history. So I don't think you're going to see that again, but you know, obviously that's a huge weapon that you get back and you are going to lean on him. Yeah. And it'll be fascinating to see what other managers copy Francona or what he did last year, right. whether he's still the only one managing like that or whether every team was watching and learning from what he did and, and whether that will actually be an advantage for Cleveland this October, like it was last year. Yeah, I think, I think you're exactly right. You're not going to see him, uh, leaving Cody Allen out there in, in the bullpen to rot in a critical situation like the wild card game last year. Uh, yeah, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how that goes. But I, again, when you ask Frank Kona about it, he's like, I kind of had to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, he wasn't trying to rewrite the, the game of baseball last year. He just was looking at, I have two starters and I have Andrew Miller, you know, like, you know, this is what I have to do. And it worked. And I think it does sort of, expose some of those of the ways you, you can change the way you think about managing a game in the postseason. Like you said, you know, if you can get a starter, you know, two times through the order and then you have the, the arms to, to extend through the rest of the way, why wouldn't you do it? Mm-hmm. So with, with Carrasco healthy, you know, barring the same kind of freak injury that knocked him out last year and with uh, Clevenger pitching as well, they're probably in a better situation to absorb this kind of injury than they were last year. But what, if anything, do you know about the location of Trevor Bauer's drones? (laughs) (laughs) Well, they've been occupied with building these little mini baseballs. I don't know if you've seen this this year, um, but they've been creating baseball miniatures that they're each baseball looks like a member of the team This started back in June. They made a little Jose Ramirez, uh, him and Carlos Carrasco cut open the balls and pull some of the, the threads out and use it for hair and beards. And they've almost got the entire roster built. So he's been really preoccupied with, with his artistic side with these little mini baseballs. Now, granted that still involves scissors. So that's dangerous as well, but uh, no, he still uh, still flies the drones. I know when he was in Minnesota, uh, he was he uses racing drones now. He's big into that, and it's actually pretty fascinating. Hobby. He designs a lot of the pieces to the drones himself, builds them himself. He's ordered specialty parts to you know from from other places to to you know make these things, and he says he has a fleet. So the drone hobby has continued, and you know he's been pitching well. Uh, in spite of it. So I don't think that's going to be going away and hopefully it won't. So I don't know how much you've looked ahead to the next few games, but can you break down how things are looking as the Indians chase the record and and go for the record? Well, I think, I think as you guys even pointed out 
when you were speaking about it, it might've been on the other uh, podcast, but um, some of the opponents they've been playing, like they've hit some of these teams at the right time. You know, not only are the Indians playing well, but they're running into some opponents that are pretty favorable matchups. Um, and, you know, the Tigers are coming to town again and the Indians kind of had their way with the Tigers when they were in Detroit last time. So, you know, it's, it's hard to fathom that a winning streak of 18 games could keep going. Um, but when you see the Tigers next on the schedule, you're like, well, maybe, maybe it can. Um, so it'll be interesting. Their magic number as we sit here tonight is down to seven. You know, they could potentially clinch on this homestand. And it's kind of crazy because I, weeks ago, I remember talking to my boss like, hey, you know, I should probably do this entire West Coast trip coming up because they're probably going to clinch on the road you know, it'd probably take like a 20 game winning streak for that not to happen. And well, here we are, they've won 18 in a row and uh, they could clinch it home. So it's, this has been pretty wild. Um, and there's a good shot with, you know, if they win, uh, you know, next couple games with Detroit in town, I think it's going to be, it's going to be fun to watch to see how far this thing can go. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, you can follow along with the never losing Indians with Jordan on Twitter at ML Bastion. You can also find him at MLB.com. Thank you for staying up, Jordan. No problem. Anytime, guys. So I've been thinking uh, since Andy brought up that they were playing the fray, I've, mm-hmm. I spent every moment since composing, well, I haven't gotten very far, but composing the How to Save the Dodgers song. Uh-huh. Okay. All, all I've gotten is step one. You said you need to bun, and I'll be working on the rest of it <laughs> over the course of the week. That'll be our our new what to Jerry what to Jerry Depoto do. Yes, add your trademark accordion, please. Yeah. <laughs> right. As the fryer known for their, yeah, their accordion right. <laughs> signature sound. All right, you have been listening to the Ringer MLB Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. We will be back as always on Thursday.